Okay, well, a formal good morning to uh, everyone. Uh, shall we come to God in prayer? And so again, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, today we travel back in time. We're in the TARDIS. And we're going back uh, from where we were yesterday with Daniel some 250 years. We are in the northern kingdom of Israel, not long after the time of the prophet Elisha, but before the fall of the northern kingdom to Assyria. So listen to my tale of Jonah and the whale. Jonah, just a little bit about him as a person. Uh, his lifetime is shown as 605 to 530 BC. And in addition to the book of Jonah, we find he also has a further single mention in two kings, and then a further nine mention, it mentions in the Gospels. And that, of course, is in relation to Jesus himself, the sign of Jonah. What then of Jonah the book? As we have worked uh, our way through OT50, and now in this final week, it seems to me uh, that we learn as much about God as we do about the people and the events that they were involved in. And I think we particularly see it today when we come to consider Jonah. In chapter one, we see Jonah's disobedience, but God's patience. In this chapter, we find that there are six main actions relating to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Then Jonah ran away from the Lord. Then Jonah had gone below deck. Then Jonah confesses to the crew that the storm is entirely his fault. Jonah is then thrown overboard by the crew and he eventually swallowed up by that huge fish. And each one of those actions is a consequence of the one that happened previously. And it's all as a result of Jonah running away from the Lord. Why did he do that? It looks like he didn't like what the Lord was calling him to do. It was a pretty formidable task, let's face it. God had called him to travel some 500 miles east, right into the heart of the Assyrian Empire to Nineveh, the chief city. It would not be a friendly visit. It was to pronounce the judgment of God upon it. We're told that the wickedness of the city had come up before God, and he said he was going to destroy it within 40 days if the people didn't repent. If we looked at the book of Nahum, the prophecy of Nahum, just a couple on from Jonah, uh, his prophecy is about another time later on, uh, which is a prophecy against Nineveh. And he speaks of their plotting evil against the Lord, their cruelty and their plundering in war, their prostitution, their witchcraft, and their commercial exploitation. 
We also read in Jonah that God provided five things relating to how Jonah was behaving. And we find two of them in this first chapter. Then the Lord sent or provided a great wind on the sea to give the storm. And then the Lord provided a huge fish. And so we see in this first chapter, God intervening in his creation, in his dealings with Jonah. Then we come to chapter two. And here I think we see Jonah's confession and God's forgiveness. The chapter begins by telling us that from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. It's good uh, to hear him pray in that way. He may have been running away from what God wanted him to do, but he still regarded the Lord as his God. (laughs) And he prays that lovely prayer. It reads like one of the Psalms. And it's a prayer of confession to God in which he acknowledges and he says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit where my life was ebbing away, remembering you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. And then he affirms that wonderful exclamation, salvation comes from the Lord. And the chapter closes, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So we come to chapter three. This time we have uh, Jonah's obedience and God's blessing. Not sure how long there was between the end of chapter two and the start of chapter three but as far as the narrative goes it's as though God doesn't waste much time with Jonah as the first words of the chapter are then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time wonder what he felt about that and it was the same go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you This time we read, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. When he arrives at Nineveh, he does as God had told him to do. And really, you do wonder what the fuss was all about. We're told, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The outcome? The Ninevites believe God and they were spared God's judgment. The approach was so simple. Jonah didn't even have to sit down and prepare a three-point sermon. It was simply the proclamation of a slogan, and the city responded. You would have thought that Jonah would have been so pleased, so delighted, so relieved, but not so, which brings us to chapter four. Jonah's reluctance and God's education, there were things that Jonah needed to learn. And the chapter opens with the words, but to Jonah, this, that is, the fact that Nineveh had repented, all this 
seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who repents from sending or relents from, sorry, sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Why was it that Jonah was reluctant to obey God and go to Nineveh? What was bugging him? Bugging him? I mean, after all, what sort of evangelist doesn't rejoice when someone comes to Christ? We're told that uh, the angels in heaven do, and you would expect a prophet with the message of an evangelist to do so as well. What was bugging Jonah? Was it that Nineveh was too far to travel? Wouldn't have thought so. He seemed equally happy to get into a boat and go in the opposite direction, probably just as far. Could it be that he was afraid? Well, that's quite possible. He could have been. The Assyrians were a formidable lot who could be pretty brutal if they wanted to be. And he was going right in to the lion's mouth, to Nineveh, the chief city. Or perhaps was it something else? John Piper writes this. Now, before I read it, I'm sorry if you think this is a bit heavy and a bit harsh for this time of the morning. But in the view of the recent events that we've been seeing, principally in America, but now in other parts of the world and our country as well, it's certainly an interesting view. And John Piper didn't write this recently. It was a little while ago. And he writes this, Jonah was a racist, a hyper-nationalist. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would have mercy on his enemies. He didn't want their repentance. He wanted their doom all quite contrary to the spirit of Jesus. He did not have goodwill towards his enemies. He was not about to bless those who used to curse him. He was a hardliner and God was too soft. So he goes outside the city to sulk. Jonah was a racist, that's some statement. As the book concludes, we see that Jonah is in God's school of practical learning. And we read about uh, those two real life parables, the one with the shady plant uh, that God provides and a worm that God provides. And uh, it's for Jonah's good, uh, but uh, the worm eats the root of the plant and the plant dies and the shade goes and uh, it was in those two parables uh, that Jonah started to appreciate how the heart of God feels when those he loves do not repent and suffer judgment. Jonah was all screwed up over a plant in a worm. 
that was just providing shelter for him. How much more does the heart of God weep and mourn over those who refuse his love and his salvation? We may not be racist, and hopefully we are not racist, but it may be that we do find ourselves in some strange sort of way reluctant to share the gospel. In a funny sort of way, we just somehow want to keep it to ourselves. And the gospel, of course, is not meant for that. As Jonah said in his prayer, salvation is of the Lord. It is for everybody. And it is for sharing. The gospel is for sharing. The gospel is for everybody. Salvation is of the Lord. No wonder.